Welcome back to The Imprint Companion, the only podcast on the Australian internet about DVD culture. I am your co-host, Blake Howard. And joining me as always is the Lord of Australian Movie Podcast. He found Drago. He lured <laughs> Ling. He's Netflix's film buffet and a total reboot king. It's Alexi Toliopoulos. Hello, my friend. How are you? Mr. Zodiac Chronicler himself. I live <laughs> and breathe in your presence. <laughs> Hello, my friend. Here... We unbox, we unpack, we unveil upcoming releases from Australia's brand new boutique Blu-ray label, Imprint Films. And this is our February episode, so we're talking about Imprint's volumes 29 through 34. We are going Ooh. by spine number order, the way that is meant to be. <laughs> and this week we're talking about Jonathan Mosto's action thriller Breakdown, Korean War epic for Grace Kelly and Mickey Rooney, Blu-ray completionists, we've got The Bridges of Toko Ri. Then we've got the sports comedy classic starring the absolutely legendary Jowls himself, Walter Matthau, The Bad News Bears. What feels like a missing Francis Ford Coppola masterpiece, we've got Robert Duvall's tale of religion and redemption in The Apostle. A pioneering tale of post-apocalypse survival with five... And finally, John Frankenheimer's epic tale of terror, espionage, and sabotaging the gosh dang Super Bowl with Black Sunday. Holy shit, what a massive month. Imprint's now gone to monthly, baby, and we have an exclusive at the end of this show. So if you want to get excited, please don't scroll. Don't scroll. Mm -hmm. Stay with us, okay? We have the skinny... Four days early on what is being released for the April batch. And if you can, go down to your little podcasting app, rate us, review us five stars. We love doing this show for you. It is our favorite time to hang out in the mm-hmm. month and talk all things physical media. <laughs> my friend, it is so good to see you in the virtual to talk about Absolutely. the physical. I, oh my God, you put it so beautifully. And you and I, we <laughs> remain physical friends no matter what happens. <laughs> all right. Up first is a terrific little, what my friend Travis Woods calls the perfect three-star movie, mm. is spine number 29, 1997's Breakdown. All roads lead to excitement with Kurt Russell in this non-stop action thrill ride about a man searching for his kidnapped wife, and critic Rex Reed called it a movie of nerve-frying intensity, Ooh. and Kurt Russell's Best performance in Apollo yet, Alexi. Talk to me about Spine 29. I had not even heard of this movie before. I think I'd oh maybe God. seen the posters, like when I used to work at a video store, like seeing that DVD cover. But I just for some reason, I'd never ventured near it, in fact. And excellent. this, like you said, like it's a, the rarity of what is a perfect three perhaps pushing to a three and a half star movie because it's like this rip roaring kind of like blistering, scary kind of very, very tense action thriller. And the action is like for first and foremost in this movie. I had also recently just seen the hitcher and it kind of like hit some of the same notes of this film. But if anything, yes. I felt like this movie is like the, uh, the Dutch movie, the vanishing meets deliverance if they're like kind of conceived as like this crazy burning action thriller and you get like filled up with so much rage on behalf of like kurt russell's character in this movie so i do agree with rex reed i think this is a great kurt russell performance because 
it's one of the few Kurt Russell performances where you're like, feel empathy for him rather than just excitement in seeing him do crazy cool stunts and being like, you know, Snake Plissken, like the coolest guy on the screen. And you just like hope that that action will ratchet tighter and tighter and tighter as it goes. And let me tell you, it really does. This was such an exciting watch, Blake. It rips. It totally rips. I'm so glad to hear that it was your first watch. And Kurt Russell, like, he's exactly what you said. He's he's our Snake Plis- He's like Snake Pliskin. He's he's an action hero. He's mm. Tango in Cash. Yes. He's in, like, Big Trouble in Little China. Like, a Jack Burton. Like, he's the guy. And so, for him, and he's McCready, like, from The Thing. Mm. So, when you see him in a movie where... He, he's able to conjure all that like insecurity mm-hmm. of a guy who's like probably been a desk writer his whole life or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's just awesome. And so, you know, JT Walsh also is in this movie, deeply underrated American character actor who mm-hmm. plays the kind of villain of it. Yeah. He's so amazing at just being completely believably malevolent and menacing mm. and just I just, you know, when I heard some of the descriptions of this movie from people who've loved it and like mates of ours and and mutual friends and Mm. just critics that I admire, I genuinely am like, yeah, the perfect three-star movie, super entertaining, super popcorn. And this, bringing this to Blu-ray, because it was such like a popular like TV movie and like video store movie, um, getting to hear about it is so cool because for folks who've never seen it, and I'm sure that's not many of the people who are listening to this, but if you've never seen it, like it's such a great movie lesson of you drop characters into a story mm-hmm. and they tell everything you need to know about the character in the actions that they undertake in the film. And it doesn't take long and you're just in it. And it's so cool to learn about how they, you know, this movie was overwritten and they tried to yeah. like over engineer it. And there's some phenomenal behind the scenes, special features of yes. like things that they did to like, to kind of, which would have absolutely sabotaged this movie being <laughs> as awesome as it is. Um, and, and, and they made the right decision. And so, yeah, it's a real, like, it's a, it's definitely a good one to buy as a single. It definitely yep. increases this one's batch worthiness for me, but absolutely. yeah. And the cool special features about the behind the scenes are pretty rad too. Yeah. And I did like that special feature a lot with, uh, an interview with musician, Eric Colvin on working with composer Basil Polydoros, who I'm a big Basil Polydoros fan, obviously because he's a Greek icon. And so Greek we icons, must baby. stand those Greek icons. We've got to look <laughs> up to them. And he is just a composer that like, every now and then I just slap on one of his soundtracks. I'm talking free. Willy is one that I go <gasps> to a lot. I love his really? free Willy soundtrack. I love it. I don't know if I've ever listed that publicly <laughs> as a soundtrack that I love, but I love that soundtrack. And I think like he, I loved seeing him in this action mode. Cause I believe he also did soundtrack to Robocop, which is weird that I know free Willy off the cuff and Robocop are like, what's that Basil? What do I have to think about that? <laughs> can I, can I, can I just say keeping in the world of Greek icons mm-hmm. and delightful physical media, when are we getting our Fellini style slash Varda on film style mm. Cassavetes box set from like some, yes, some publication. When is it happening, Alexi? Well, because I know, I know that both you and I will be there 
literally with sleeping bags yes. at Australia Post day and date for it to be received yes. and to unbox it together. What, when's that I will that tell happen? you, there is a Criterion one that's got five movies in it, but yeah, doesn't fi- have and I have that. But there's oh. one movie that is missing from any kind of... Like, I've got most of them because I'm collecting them. I love Cassavetes. But there's one missing, and I'm just like, imprints got to get this one because it's a universal movie. And there's been a couple of universal pictures films coming on the imprint collection and it's mini and moskowitz and that one you can only find on like vhs is like hundreds of dollars on ebay because people just want it so bad all right well consider that fan mail from us fans of this label um but breakdown that was you know if we're talking about what's batch worthy there are a couple of massive titles and we'll get through them mm-hmm. here breakdown's definitely one of them for me like it's a it's yes. a, a total ripper this is the one that i'm just like yeah you, this is so enjoyable and it's also the kind of movie like you said it harkens back to that video store era so this to me is really what physical media is all about all right let's get to the next one my friend mm-hmm. we've got the bridges at toko reef from 1954 Breathtaking, Oscar-winning aerial footage highlights this dramatic adaptation of James Michener's Korean War thriller. William Holden stars as Harry Brubaker, a U.S. Navy lieutenant and World War II pilot called back into service and charged with leading a dangerous bomber mission to destroy key North Korean-held bridges. It also stars Frederick March, Grace Kelly, and Mickey Rooney. <laughs> it, It is... This one is like the Top Gun of its day. Like, can we say that? 1954, it is absolutely the Top Gun of its day. It's kind of an incredible movie to watch just for unfathomably beautiful close-up shots of these huge aircraft carriers doing their thing, watching these rescues. And this dramatization, it really truly feels like... Uh, like, it's hot off the heels of... Um, uh, like it's hot off the heels of the Korean War actually mm. happening. It's yep. being made at the time that some of the war had been occurring. So it's not quite a propaganda film. It's one that's coming like hot off the heels. So it kind of does what what you... The worst possible film example of this is World War II film Green Berets is yeah. made at the end of the Vietnam War or during the Vietnam War. Mm. And they try and apply the same rules to that. Yes. But I think I really dug the t- Bridges at Toko Re for one thing and one thing only is that with kind of Top Gun levels of cooperation with the military, mm. they get to shoot this movie. And what I actually dug the most about it was it does feel a bit rah-rah and a bit propagandistic and a bit American triumphalist, as you kind of expect with some of these old, you know, 1954 movies. Like Navy, but military I, pictures. Like it does, they just, yeah. They just chess beat a little bit mm. about being in the military and how important it is. But one thing I did really admire is like it's it's it does so much to sort of contextualize William Holden's character, Brubaker, yeah. and his wife and their family and all this. And then it is not afraid, and I'm not I don't even bother saying spoilers because it's a nineteen fifty four movie, but it's not afraid for him to die horribly in the Korean War and for his military superiors to actually question why were we even here? Yes. What was the purpose of this? And it, it it seems a bit fleeting because the movie is quite long. But man, I really appreciated the hell out of this movie for being a bit of a like a. It showed you that kind of like proto um, Vietnam, mm. like post World War II existential crisis feeling yes. of like, why the hell are we doing these colonialist 
you know, anti-communist things, are we kind of getting ourselves into trouble? And yeah, it's kind of amazing that it's like 1954. It's like a full 10 years before the Vietnam mm. War happens. And they're already having feelings about these post-World War II efforts or insurgencies into other countries. And, and I was kind of like, wow, I couldn't believe, Alexi, that like a movie like this existed in full cooperation to the Navy and had kind of really like, critical things to say yeah. about American war. It's kind of surprising because, like, this really is not my cup of tea. This is not my kind of movie. But I think that you're right. Like, there's there's something worthy in this movie, especially receiving, like, a package like this because it is, like, that uh, that slight outlier. And I think that's, like, the kind of thing that we're kind of seeing with Imprint is, like, something that you think is one thing and then there's just a little bit of difference with it we're like oh okay this is worth re-examining or taking a new look at a new lens at because it does have those elements in it and like you said that was the thing that really shocked me was that william holden finale death sequence to spoil the movie for you but like you said it's like a hundred years old and you know (laughs) you didn't even hear of it until now um and like that was like genuinely scary if anything like yeah. it just felt yeah if for this era in particular where you you know there it does not blood in this scene or anything like that it felt like a real death but that's just yeah, a testament to william holden being like one of the great movie stars yeah it's i, I was watching this sort of and look, you have to appreciate that any kind of movie in the fifties, the pacing's obviously different, mm-hmm. and, and and things aren't going to be as rapid fire as you would expect. But you know, if there's if there's two things, it was already worth the the price of admission for me just to see um, this beautiful photography and Academy Award winning photography mm-hmm. to capture the images that it's capturing. But holy hell, the the to 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 get the shock of the ending um, after all this sort of beautiful like rah rah military mm-hmm. photography. Um, it, you know, I, I think it was pretty badass, and I feel like I feel like our one person that we admire, the a dearly departed Tony Scott, mm. he had to have seen the, some of yes. the aerial photography in this movie, dude. There's he would no have been way. all over this. There's no way he's he would not have been seen all over this. It. Yeah, yeah. I would be interested so, to find out, like, if he was actually a fan of this movie, and that's why he wanted to make Top Gun because the this and Top Gun, it's so clearly linked in history yes and and linked in history and linked in just like stylistically and being able to you know seeing these incredible you know jet footage of jets like plummeting mm. out of the sky to doing these bomber runs yep. and things like that and and so i i was like although the traditional thing would be like george lucas loved those you know attack runs mm. for for star wars it's not it's not quite that for me it's much more in that like tony scott big broad huge action yes. sweeping style um but yeah no it was it was definitely one that i'd never seen and and that ending actually made it worth a watch for me mm. and definitely maybe if, if you're doing a batch you know and i think that there that it's the best value to get it as a batch um i i I wouldn't be I wouldn't be upset with throwing this on just seeing that ending and, and having that sort of philosophy at the end of it too. This is a real movie to chuck on with grandpa. If you've got a grandpa around, <laughs> grandpa will love this movie. Grandpa will love it. Now, let's move on because I can't wait to hear what you have to say mm. about number thirty one in the batch, the nineteen seventy six legendary, hilarious sporting comedy. The bad news, bad. I'm sorry. The bad news bears, starring Walter Matthau, 
as Coach Buttermaker, who's sculling beers and getting little misfits off the streets to pull together into the unlikeliest little crew of great sort of uh, a great sporting team here. Alexi, mm. talk to us about the Bad News Bears. I love this movie. I hadn't seen it for a, quite a few years, maybe like five or six years. I actually think it was the first movie I ever watched on like a streaming platform. I think I watched, <laughs> it was the first movie I ever watched on Netflix. And um, I love Walter Matthau. Maybe my favorite oh my actor. Um, and I say that because there's no danger of any weird shit coming out about Walter Matthau ever. <laughs> He's the safest actor to go for. And uh, I just, I love him. And I love this performance. It was such a treat to go back and watch the Bad News Bears because, you know, I think it's like this. It's not my favorite Walter Matthau movie. There's a few Walter Matthau no. movies like The Odd Couple and even like A New Leaf that I would go like, those are like top tier for me. But this is maybe he's like one of my favorite roles of him because it utilizes his unique ability to embody like a unique character, which is a cool slob. And I think that's he does it better here, and, or it's used better here than even in the Odd Couple. Yeah, and also he's so lovable, mm. no matter how much of a dirtbag he is. Exactly. He has a magic. He has a magic that, and, and I love what you said about him. I totally agree. He's so wonderful because it the depths of him being a dirtbag and mm. drinking beer and passing out in front of children, and there is not for a second you don't love him exactly and it's such like a it's such a unique movie in that regard like i know there's even a remake of this movie by the great richard link later but this is just how i can't believe that this movie exists that this movie exists with an <laughs> and a true alcoholic slob looking after this group of like little rascals if anything like these little <laughs> scrapper do kids these scrappers <laughs> they've got like cuts and sores and they're so dirty and I think that I the thing that I really love about the Bad News Bears is that it is quite grubby in the way that like when you're like an 11 or 12 year old or 13 year old kid when you are like this little scrappy kid and you've kind of got like this world for your first time you've got a world away from your parents where you're getting up yes. to mischief it kind of captures <laughs> that in a way that I think this really is for me, the movie that the Goonies wishes it was in its portrayal of like a childhood full of grubs. Yeah, and it's it's also the thing that's been sanitized to death, you know, like the whole Mighty Ducks franchise oh, yeah. just sanitized this concept, mm -hmm. you know, and and I think that there are so many bad, like we've seen bad teacher, bad Santa, like yes. you've seen so many bads that have come from wanting to do what Walter Matthau did in this movie. And this movie just does it so like nakedly and authentically. And as much of a dirt bag as he is, and as much as these are the bad news bears, it's kind of really awesome to just see how like transparent it is about how like shitty mm -hmm. little, little league parents are and how like racist America was in 1976, yes. just casually racist. It's just like, this movie's obviously, you know, you know, uh, social politics may may not have aged well, but I kind of respect the shit out of it Absolutely. that it exists to just be like, this is this is what it was like. This and these are little kids at a baseball field, yep. and this guy's calling this this one every racial epithet under the sun. They're calling each other all the bad words, and mm. I just, um, yeah, I 
and but right at the center and i think i think the only person that gets as close to this is like billy bob thornton in bad santa for me but someone who is what about in the remake of bad news bears where he plays this exact character (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) it's exactly yeah he's trying to do this but he doesn't get close he doesn't get in my mind he doesn't get close to yeah it's the sweetness the sweetness it's the warmth and it's like no, to watch this, you're watching an extremely unique actor because there's nobody that has ever been able to do this. Like, you're so right yeah. to, like, bring warmth to a role like this where you're just like, fuck, I love this guy. I love this character. <laughs> and he's, like, the worst. Like, he was drinking around these kids. He manipulates kids to, like, get what he wants and stuff. And it's, like, done with complete joy and warmth. Yeah, and and bribery. Like, and constantly bribery. Bribe- <laughs> And you see these little up. bears drinking the beers and stuff. Like it's crazy. <laughs> it is. It's 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 not advised to do any of his behavior mm-hmm. in 2021. But uh, no, I I just I love it. And you know, um, Tatum O'Neill is so great in this movie. Absolutely, you know, he's so sweet to her as like a sort of surrogate father figure. Um, Jackie Earl Halley. We should have all predicted that this is the guy they were going to cast as Freddy Krueger one day from yeah. his weird necklace, like the choker necklace. If you're yeah. a little kid, boy kid with a choker who rides a motorcycle and smokes. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, he was, he was a badass. But no, th- this is the only, um, the only thing that I would just say for all of you guys out there, it, it's not a, a, a version of the film that is loaded with special features. Mm. It looks tremendous on Blu-ray. It looks great. It does looks phenomenal, but it's not loaded with special features. But if you need to have it in your collection because it's Bad News Bears and you're a huge fan of Matthew, etc., um, it, it re- it's, it's a really good one. And it is the second Jackie O'Haley film in the imprint collection after Day of the Locust. Oh, my goodness. This is... This is what other dirtbag, young, <laughs> evil kid... Jackie L. Halley performances are not in the collection yet because mm. that might give us a clue as to what's yeah. coming. <laughs> what's up next? What are we going to have <laughs> in the companion? We're going to get Shutter Island. <laughs> oh, actually, there's a movie that he's in that is just after this that would be perfect for imprint, Breaking Away. Oh, my goodness. There's no way that Breaking Away is not going to be on the imprint. Like <laughs> that, I reckon I just uncovered one. Oh, you actually... Did. Um, actually, no, uh, I won't say that because it is one, isn't it? It's in what, the PDF. It's in the PDF, isn't it? Hold on, hold on. I hold think on, it wait. is. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> wait, that's so funny. Hold on, let me find it. I'm going off memory. Maybe I've. I wrote it down somewhere else or something no, else. No, no, no. No, it's not. Oh, it's not okay. Here. Breaking I, Away. Okay. I think I just wrote it down. I was like, I want to watch Breaking Away again. <laughs> I just wrote it no, down no, on cool. something. <laughs> no, that's cool. So you can just start by saying, maybe the next one's Breaking yeah. Away. And then I'm we like, can get going. Oh, there's uh, actually is a Jackie L. Haley movie that I think would 100% be perfect for imprint. It's a couple of years after The Bad News Bears. The coming of age classic Breaking Away. Uh, that's a, it has to be. There's it, no it, way. We, it, it's made for it. it. It's it made for it. It's on the radar. It has to be. It has, it has to, be. to be. It. Do you reckon there's a Jackie or Haley fan at imprint that's like, okay, what can I get? <laughs> do you think they've caught me out yet? Uh, I think 
look, I may just be the host of Zodiac Chronicle, but <laughs> I think I think we can see the signs. I think we're making some connections in this constellation, and mm-hmm. if there's one more Earl Harley performance in here, we're going to be able to predict what's going to come in every single batch from now on. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, let's move on to our next film. The next film is from 1997. This is The Apostle. In his Academy Award-nominated performance, Robert Duvall is Sonny. Not Sonny Corleone, a former colleague of his. <laughs> a gifted Southern preacher loved by his community until he commits a crime of passion and is forced to run from the law. This is, I believe, the directorial debut of Mr. Robert Duvall. Absolutely is. And I would normally be waxing lyrically first about this, but I have to say my very awesome co-host sent me the perfect text and the perfect descriptor for this movie. It is so perfect, in fact, that we may have to hire like Tony Stella (laughs) or Brianna Ashby or some of those film artists to actually put it on a poster, which Mm -hmm. is this film feels like a missing Francis Ford Coppola masterpiece. He's so 100% right. It is such a terrific intuitive debut. Because it is a guy who is such a phenomenal actor, immersing himself in a culture and not being afraid to capture things like in a very cinema verite, organic, Mm. crazy style, as well as being like just a terrific performer and performer of dialogue and commander of scenes. Uh, And the one thing that Francis Ford Coppola can do so well is he does moral ambiguity unbelievably Mm. and doesn't really ever do white knights well. And so like, for example, last month I watched the rainmaker, which is the Francis Ford Coppola, John Grisham adaptation. Yes. And the whole time you're watching it, the most interesting characters are Mickey Rourke's dirtbag attorney Mm -hmm. who is getting indicted and who runs away. And Danny DeVito's like bumbling, not able to even pass the bar exam lawyer Mm. because they're morally compromised people. And what is so awesome about this and what I think that, you know, many performances alongside Francis Ford Coppola, like rubbed off on Duval Mm. is this kind of moral compromise and how to frame it and really make it engaging. And, and it's just a goddamn good movie, man. I was so blown away by this movie. What about you? I'm with you. Like, this was a bit of a surprise because, like, you know, I'm a big Coppola guy. He was, like, probably my early hero when it came to, like, discovering cinema. And I had never seen this before, but I've been aware of it, like, my entire life of cinephilia. Just going, like, this is Duval, <laughs> some of his nominated films, and it's, like, his directorial debut. There's something always interesting to me when an actor, not only just an actor becomes a director, but an actor that also is like a strong collaborative voice with an iconic filmmaker. I'm thinking about like, you know, when De Niro made, uh, you know, a Bronx tale and like when those guys that are the guy of someone else get out and make their own film. And you're seeing like Duval really soaking up the influence from his collaborator to really fascinatingly portray the life and world of this guy who's like a real freaking piece of shit. And he's driven (laughs) by his faith though, which is so interesting. And there's this thing about this movie where 
you know, maybe it's just because it's the stories that we're more used to now and just more real-life stories about, like, these pastors that are hypocritical through the media and stuff. Like, you hear those stories all the time, like, this guy's a pastor, but he flies around America in a private jet and he lives in, like, a $20 billion house. <laughs> and I see so much of these things. You really think that this guy is a shyster, like Kudwinky's congregation, but that reveal never really comes. And there's so many moments that you feel like you're going to find out these moments that the aforementioned Billy Bob Thornton or something are going to be revealed to be like an act to bring people yep. into the congregation. But that reveal never comes. And I think that this movie is so much more interesting for that. Yes. And it's that it's actually making genuine connections and mm. feeling like he's changing people's lives that gives him the reward. And as you said, that knife's edge and that beautiful tension that Duval creates is simply just going, I'm going to make you feel like at any point this guy's going to rob these people. Mm -hmm. And the the only thing that keeps him moving and the thing that keeps him so energetic and fired up is just making a difference. And so, yeah, I just, it was so, such a striking movie. Mm. Uh, like, I really think that if you're a cinephile, you listen to us and you love the shit that we talk, but genuinely some of the filmmaking that is on display and some of the phenomenal special features that are a part yes. of the apostle, particularly the making of the audio commentary is brilliant as well, because it just gives you a few expansive mm. uh, thoughts from Duval about like different choices that he made. But I mean, instinctive directing, like top shelf stuff. He's just, yeah, he's, this is this, if We've already talked about Breakdown, which we loved. Bad News Bears, obviously, is a huge movie. Um, you know, so they're going to be things that are going to get you mm. over the line. But The Apostle, if you didn't recognize it and you got this, I think it's my favorite of the batch. What about you? Oh, I don't know. It's up there. Like, to me, there's a couple, like, there's a couple in there that really get me. Like, I already love Bad News Bear. And there was just, you know, Breakdown and the last film that we'll cover today, Black Sunday, were surprises that snuck up on me. So yeah, even though like Coppola's my one of my biggest boys, and this feels <laughs> like a Coppola movie, but interestingly, the, it's the differences that also make it really interesting. It's hard to say. Like I really, really like this one, and it grew on me as well. And I got to give a shout out to a really interesting eclectic supporting cast like this has got billy oh. bob thornton you've got june walton carter goggins. cash walton goggins yep. and farrah freaking Fawcett, who is great as playing like the ex-wife of robert duval in this movie i think that yeah. that is a really a really interesting performance and i think that shows duval's like capability with like working with actors because you know Farrah Fawcett this is not the kind of thing that you would associate her with and I no. think she is so brilliantly cast in this movie and the performance that he gets from her and like I think she is a really good actor Farrah Fawcett but to see her utilized in this kind of movie I'm like fucking hell Duval you're firing on like a like Francis Ford Coppola cylinders where you're like doing eclectic weird casting that just works out Oh, and Walton Goggins, there is not a guy that's working right now that mm -hmm. fits the Duval mold Absolutely. more than him. And so, like, seeing And that's not the that first this... time Blake said that. Blake has compared and... <laughs> Goggins to Duval to me many times. Yeah, and, like, that 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 uh, torch passing, I'm just like, this, it's such a phenomenal decision. And mm. it just... But also, the non-actors in this movie, there are real Southern preachers that Duval's character, Sonny, is preaching alongside... Mm -hmm. 
And it's incredible just watching him like go tat for tat with them. It's it's crazy. All right, let's dive in to spine number 33 for our German listeners, 33, <laughs> which is a 1951 film that is really one of the first post-apocalyptic nuclear holocausty films. And it was actually created by... Uh, and there's a couple of really fascinating uh, uh, bits of documentary footage you can actually catch on this very Blu-ray mm-hmm. by Arch Obola, who was a radio uh, and writer-director there. And then he eventually made films, a couple of films. And this film is called Five. Alexi, talk to me about what it's like when the nuclear winter has blown over and it leaves only a few people left on this little earth of ours. I think that this is quite a cool little find. And I think that this is maybe the most common place of interest that we've discovered with uh, going through imprint month through month and like going through each release of batches because there always is a hidden B-movie classic that I've never heard of in like each batch. Yeah. Like we had it in When Worlds Collide, uh, So I Married an Alien from Out of Space or whatever <laughs> that movie was called, which I just adored. <laughs> and this is kind of in that same vein where it feels like a Lost Twilight Zone episode. Like the, if you love Twilight Zone, this is worth investigating for you, which I 100%. do. I do love my Twilight Zone. And it harkens back to like those early ideas of like the last survivors on Earth. And I think it's quite shot quite spectacularly and like almost feels like a, like almost Ingmar Bergman, if anything, like the way that's <laughs> shot in like this kind yeah. of like emotional sparseness. And I got to say, like, this one was a bit of a, like, a creeper on me. Like, I think that, like, it's very clever in the way that it uses its low budget to create the sense of, like, being in this new world, this new existence of, like, loneliness and the pressures around that as well. Uh, you're, you're You're an independent filmmaker and producer as well. And I saw this and I go man, this is fun and inventive. Like Mm. using what very limited money that you've got. There are a couple of, you know, larger set pieces, but for the most part, I love how you said sort of Bergman. I was thinking of Antonioni, like because of some of the coastline stuff. I'm just like, Mm. this has got this black and white sparse Antonioni feel. Um, It's being told in obviously a very kind of classically melodramatic way, which is probably one of the things that ages the most poorly about Mm -hmm. it. But Interesting politics, interesting illusions, yeah. like interesting poetics, um, and and people sort of questioning what they would do. And I just I kind of love when you see these very visually inventive, um, uh, you know, sort of proto independent, mm. you know, sci fi films because like these B grade sci fi films are like literally were the birth of independent cinema yes. because they were gave them the smell of an oily rag, maybe get to shoot <laughs> yeah. one. That, you know, maybe got to shoot one day on a much bigger production that yeah. had already paid for the set or whatever. Um, and I just, I really enjoyed it uh, as well. Just and and just to learn a little bit about that weird crossover of sort of, you know, right now in 2021, and like, um, you know, Mr. Netflix film buffet, uh, Alexi knows better than most. Is there's this great pool of 
independent filmmakers who make their movies and they go to Sundance, for mm. example, and if they're lucky or little festivals like that, if they're lucky, they get picked up by streaming giants like Netflix and they get viewed all around the world, which is pretty incredible. But at the same time, what you learn um, in some of these docos is Archibola um, as a radio producer is that radio plays were kind of like this space for inventive mm. storytelling. And then some people were listening and going, well, science fiction is a burgeoning film genre. So how do we get these little inventive creators and yeah. like get them to cross the, cross the ditch, so to speak, to come over to films. And mm. so, yeah, it was really fascinating to listen to and to learn about. And I think you're spot on, man. Like this is the one in the batch where you're like, huh? Like never yeah. heard of this, but it totally start. You totally see other filmmakers that have like heard about it, mm. seen clips from it, gotten the idea, liked where the premise was going and you've, and by now, one of my favorite post-apocalyptic movies, um, which feels, you know, like a much more extreme version of this, um, is the Australian film These Final Hours because oh, it's like that yeah. same, which is terrific. Like mm, I love um, that movie, love it too. And I feel like what that would be a really phenomenal double feature of mm. like the world is going to end yeah and and it has a very extremely bleak outlook and it is in an isolated spot and mm. this one is obviously perth versus you know this like isolated mountain on mm. the east coast of the united states uh oh, sorry on the west coast of the united states but yeah it's just um I, I really dug it and i think that you know definitely worth your time just for a bit of study and to be mm. like look at how visually inventive they could be with probably nothing yeah. no money to make this movie and i think that there's like a real audience for this thing that is awakened right now because there are all like you said like those little independent sci-fi movies like i'm thinking of like the like uh aaron moorhead like the ones that they made and like there's that film prospect i with pedro pascal i think from a couple of years ago that this really feels like a forerunner for so those little films like they tend to find their audiences slowly and in a cult kind of way and i think that this one is pretty much the granddaddy of all of that stuff yeah i, I it's you know you and i have sort of come across because of our capital C cinephilia come mm -hmm. across a lot of B movies that like li literally do feel like they get ripped into the twilight zone. And then there's all these filmmakers in the continuum of making movies who are so influenced by the twilight zone. So they just rip the, the concepts and take them large, but it's cool to actually see this little movie like exist and on its own, on its own legs and be like, Oh, this is like interesting. It's got, yeah. it's got something there. I think so. I think so. And it's special feature as well. Like you said, Kim Newman on Ach Obella is a good little introduction into this interesting radio maker become filmmaker. The final movie that we're going to be talking about today, Blake, is Black Sunday from 1977. Black Sunday is the powerful story of a Black September terrorist group attempting to blow up a Goodyear blimp hovering over the Super Bowl stadium with 80,000 people and the President of the United States in attendance. This movie, I feel, is made for none other than Blake Howard. I have to ask you this. This is a bit of a read, but I would guess that John Frankenheimer would be in your top 10 favorite filmmakers of all time. Oh my God, he's he's starting to be. I mean, if he wasn't already, I'd never seen Black Sunday. Mm -hmm. And after seeing Black Sunday, which is a proto munich yes like is a is 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 has got absolutely some of the most unbelievable domestic terrorist 
uh, plot, you almost can't believe that it was allowed to be a studio movie, that it was mm-hmm. allowed to have the full cooperation of the NFL. Now, some of our older listeners might dig this movie or like you might just be a, like a Frankenheimer head and you've seen it. But holy shit, Alexi, if, if for me as a person who's like been a casual fan of the NFL as well, yeah, if you could imagine what it's like for a filmmaker to put all of his cinema cameras at the Super Bowl on game day mm-hmm. and have Robert Shaw uh, two years after Jaws, like running around a yeah. Super Bowl, just like saying things dangling in the middle of from the game. a helicopter and stuff like, like crazy. Like, it's th- this movie is utterly crazy. Like they mm. shot at the Super Bowl, Frankenheimer's ambition and scope and ability to do this sort of stuff is just, I mean, it's mind boggling. Yes. And, the big connection, though, you know, I'm definitely becoming a Frankenheimer fan of in a in a big bad way. But I'm talking to a guy who essentially was inspired by Thomas Harris mm. to do your last gargantuan project. Yeah, this is a Thomas Harris novel being adapted into this huge film for Paramount. It's, it's crazy because I didn't know that. Like I had no idea. And then I'm watching this flick and one of the first credits that pops up across that screen is based <laughs> on a novel by Thomas Harris. I'm like, what the heck, Oz? This is crazy. And I crazy. think I'm with you. Like, I got to say, like, the, full disclosure, this is a long-ass movie. It's like t- over two and a half hours long. Really long. It's really, really, really long. long. And I think the first two acts of this film are quite slow, but they do develop like in a fascinating way. Like your, I would say like your Munichs, like your Tinker Tailor Soldier Spies, Mm. where we are getting like these intriguing notes of espionage, where this feels like quite like a forebearer, if anything, because it does have like that globetrotting nature of trying to catch these terrorists. And it feels quite modern, uh, but it also feels quite familiar and it's weird, like, the other things that feels very familiar to is, like, with Robert Shaw in this role and the yes. John Williams score also in tow that really quite literally is hitting, like, notes from Star Wars that also came out this year. Like, there's a, yeah. there's a piece of music that happens, like, towards the end, like, around the time where, like, they're in the blimp that is so much like the... Um, the score leading up to like the medal ceremony at uh, in Star Wars, <laughs> like note for note, it feels the same thing. This also feels like it's sneakily trying to like ape Jaws in a really unexpected way. Yeah, like, like I, I think they even say in one of the docos on the disc, it's like it's Jaws but with a blimp, and they're like, "What? Like that's that's the the the, the blimp is not the shark in this movie." Yeah. But no, I I couldn't I couldn't agree more and. There's an insanely famous and popular show that has now ended in the United States called Homeland, mm-hmm. and it had what was what some people considered to be this radical storyline of a a, um, a prisoner of war in a terrorist group that becomes psychologically altered and becomes a plant to mm. commit terrorist acts, you know, acts of domestic terror. And I remember being. Um, a viewer of that show for the first season and I thought it was wild. Like it was a completely wild and out there thing. And there we go in Black Sunday in 1977 and Bruce Dern is literally doing that and Thomas Harris has already written about it. And I I just, 
that's the thing that shocked me, Alexi, is like this this is literally like one of those canister viewings for me. Like yeah. you pop open a canister and you're like, ooh, what is this magic thing that I've never seen before? Yeah. Because I just couldn't believe how radical, like it felt radical, radical in the filmmaking ambition, mm. but really radical in the content. Like it's this really, really detailed world of espionage with mm -hmm. all these different intelligence agencies all over the world and all this crazy shit. Um, Bruce Dern being like completely twisted. I mean, he it's just rocks it, it, in this movie. He rips, he rips in this movie. He's so cuckoo. Like he's so <laughs> he's scary he and he's unhinged and he's emotional and he's damaged and he has a motivation. He has a reason and mm. it works so well. And I think like, that's what is it for me? Like this is, there's also like a bit of fantasy with this movie where it's like, those first two acts are really slow, but it's got all the espionage trappings that you would really hope for a John Frankenheimer movie like this. And it's a little yes. bit dry, but there's all those moments that become exciting or fascinating or they have like a kind of like a dark humor about them. Like there's a moment where they test out the exploding uh, canister that they're going to be putting at the bottom of the blimp that is like got this really dark, sick, twisted humor about it that becomes yes. interesting. But I got to say, it builds to such an exciting final act, which is almost feature length of yes. the blimp <laughs> attack on the Super Bowl. And to me, there's a fantasy here in like, this would have been such a high stakes, like near real time powerhouse of a film. If the entire film took place during that climax, if this was just like a, a hundred minute movie and it's like Robert Shaw go, knows that there's a domestic terrorist that's been planning this thing. And we see both those stories unfold in real time at the Super Bowl, employing some of the elements even the of earlier. Even the day of. Mm -hmm. Even the day of with a couple of flashbacks. I yes. totally agree. I think I think if they had their way again, I, I would argue they've definitely got the footage yeah. to make an to make a 100-minute movie that is just the day of the Super Bowl mm. and have a few calculated flashbacks or even like a 10-minute a super fast-paced like build-up. Yeah. But no, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's an epic. And I think, I think that's just a stylistic choice. I think they really wanted to build the world and mm. like maybe feel like people have got their money's worth. But I think reflectively, uh, especially after you watch something like Breakdown, you're like, nah, man, let's just get to yeah. it. Like this is, we get it. Terrorists are going to attack the Super Bowl. We don't know how. Like yeah. it's kind of, it's almost like an even cooler thing if we don't, we see what happens overseas like right at the beginning of the film and then drag it straight to the end because yeah. yeah that that end sequence is out of this world and i it's weird because i i do think that's right but now like a few days after watching it i still think about some moments from like the first two acts of this movie like where we're like traveling the world trying to track down these terrorists and i'm like this is really like cool like it's yeah it's like well, in that lacare kind of vein like if you like um the little drummer girl i think that if you kind of like almost go i'm watching a mini series all in one go like the park chan wook adaptation of the little drummer girl with florence Pugh, you will freaking froth this movie i'm such a big fan of Florence Pug mm -hmm. as well. And, um, and I just want to say like, there is a, a, the one scene for me that just gets me every time in this movie. And it, I've been thinking about it since is like watching two people from international, like, um, you know, cause Robert Shaw's character is, you know, playing for some kind of like Mossad angle. Mm. And then he's like negotiating with some kind of one of his Arabic villains slash counterparts and going, listen, 
we both failed getting these guys. And if they take out the terrorists, if, if these terrorists take out the Super Bowl or do something in America, how long before you think they come after us for missing it? Yeah. And it's this like great moment of like, it's such a really incisive Thomas Harris thing of going, this is the world that we live in. These are the players that are playing in it. It's not just this like, like tiny blinkered thing of like one country. And so just watching that, I was just like, I don't know. Just the, this movie is radical. Like I don't usually use like yeah. Ninja Turtle descriptors, but like yeah. it's radical for me because I just can't believe that a huge movie made by a huge studio, which they were testing and they thought it was going to be as big as Jaws, but then unfortunately it came out around the time that Star Wars came out. Yes. Um, that uh, which kind of sucks, but it tested great. It was huge. It's just like another big, you know, international espionage mm. thing. Um, it's. I was just really impressed, and it blew me away. And we got to give a shout out to the great character actor Michael Vigazzo, who plays <laughs> Frankie Five Angels, Five Frank Pentangeli from The Godfather Part Two. Whenever he pops up, let me tell you, Lexi gets happy. I love, I love you, Michael Vigazzo. And you also know, poor Michael Vigazzo has this is you know he's never really a legitimate businessman. Like, Absolutely. can we... Is that okay to say? Like, the minute you see his face, yeah. you're like... This guy's a crook. This, this guy's... This guy's a crook. He's got a secret. Time. He's got a secret about him. <laughs> big secret. And you're like, mm, nah, mm. this isn't right. I so, think that this is a real highlight of The Bachelor. This is a real discovery for, for me. I This is not the last time I watched Black Sunday. No, definitely not. And I think if we ever have cinemas again, um, in the in in the big bad way, like repertories in Oz or anywhere, mm-hmm. um, although it would take you a whole like it might take you half a day or a day and a half to watch, but I'd be like, let's go Black Sunday Munich double feature, yeah. like Munich second because that's the more emotional, uh, the more emotionally mm-hmm. impactful one. But for the roller coaster ride and for that, like, give me some Black Sunday on a big screen because to see that, to see this with the blimps, I mean, just incredible stuff. Absolutely. I agree. I I think this is such a winner. Now, for the exclusive segment. Mm -hmm. This is the sealed section of the podcast, Alexi. Yes. Oh, my goodness. We have an exclusive announcement for April's imprint batch. Holy shamoli. Shall you do the honors, my friend, and uncork this uh, little list for us? Oh, it would be my extreme pleasure. Now, this batch has got a lot going for it, but what's it all about? It's about Alfie. We've got the Michael Caine classic Alfie as the, I guess, like, one of the big items of this batch. It's like a known classic. It inspired one of my favorite movies of all time, Austin Powers, Gold Member. Uh, and <laughs> I think it's like a classic Michael Caine performance. And this movie really is like generation defining. And not only that, do you have Alfie? It also comes with My Generation, David Batty's featured documentary on the 1960s cultural revolution in London. So this is a double feature that we're getting here as like the pinnacle of this batch and it doesn't just stop there there's more in here do you want to take it on to the next one blake yeah let's go this is a a film from 1967 about 
a psychologist whose patient is the president of the United States. It's called The President's Analyst. It stars James Coburn. I've heard it's a great satire. I've got a couple of friends. I hadn't heard about it, but there's... Uh, imagine the quandary of, you know, top secret information that's going through your president's head and you have to be the guy that is trying to help him process all of that information. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited um, about that one and people starting to come after him and uh, it has a couple of great little features on there. This is like another one of those gems that is from that purple patch of Absolutely. like, you know, right on that new Hollywood, which yeah. we're both such huge fans of. So I'm excited about this one too. And Do you want to tell us what the next one in the batch is, my friend? I would love to. This is one that I've heard of, and I am excited to finally watch. It's a movie called The Chalk Garden. It's got Deborah Kerr and Parent Trap herself, Haley Mills. <laughs> and it's a drama based on the stage play by Enid Bangob. When disobedient teenager Laurel manages to make yet another governess leave, her grandmother and guardian decides enough is enough when Miss Magical, who's played by Deborah Kerr, shows up on their doorstep announcing herself as Laurel's new governess, the girl quickly comes to realise that she may have finally met her match. Well, that sounds like a cute one. From something that's quite cute to a dark horror noir from 1941 starring Peter Laurie, who's a disfigured watchmaker with a grudge against society and embarks on a life of crime. It's called The Face behind the mask i love it Mm -hmm. i'm excited for a peter laurie flick i'm excited for this film um i you know anything that's a little bit older is always going to get the beautiful treatment it's got a beautiful 1080p presentation so i'm super excited about that alexi tell us about the next absolute clanger Mm -hmm. in this lineup if you thought alfie and my generation was the big get in this set we have are announcing today that Essential Film Noir is getting a new little brother with Essential Film Noir (laughs) Collection 2. We've got four more new noir films for you to uncover. We've got The Hollywood Story, City That Never Sleeps. We've got Private Hell 36. And we've got plunder of the sun oh i'm super excited about this i've been reading up on private hell 36 after a recommendation from my friend who said that is the best of the new batch mm-hmm. um a very underweighted noir can't what can't wait to see city that never sleeps these noir batches are just such treasures and oh man i cannot wait mm-hmm. another hard box collection that imprint uh this imprint thing is just monst- it's monstrous right now it's, yeah. it's incredible so i really can't wait to check this out and it's so exciting because recently there's been a few other boutique labels that have been releasing some like noir box sets and i don't think i've seen any crossover with this new batch these are i'm just cannot wait to dig into them because i've been going through a noir thing at the moment and ah uh, i'm really stoked and there's one this final one, one if you thought that was this- it all there's one more that tops it all off. <laughs> this one almost made me faint. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm such a massive fan of this incredible film and the man that is in this incredible film. We've been talking a little bit about a man named Sonny mm-hmm. in this podcast, uh, played by one Robert Duvall, who usually fraternizes with another man named Sonny, one Sonny Corleone, played by James Kahn. We have... James Kahn, for the first time on Blu-ray, in James Toback's The Gambler, 
Holy shit, Alexi. Mm-hmm. This incredible story about a man, Axel Freed, who's a professor, a literary, a literary professor at a New York university. He's writing, but he's got a gambling problem. And he's sort of like on this path to self-destruction or redemption. And you just have to watch and mm. see what happens when he puts his money on that table. See if he gets the the beautiful favor of the gods come down and get allow him to win. I am so freaking excited for the gamble. I'm so freaking excited for this April batch. It is yeah. one of the biggest and most awesome batches I think we've ever seen. I think so. Like between the gambler, Alfie, and a whole new noir box set, plus Ooh. like a little Peter Laurie movie that is like Ooh. making a HD debut that uh, is like, you know, it's unearthing a classic. This might be the most exciting batch so far. And from what I'm seeing also, um, lots of face behind the mask special features Mm. and every one of noir films in the box set looking like some real banger special features on there with interviews and brand new commentary tracks. Um, and, and a lot of stuff from, you know, film critics that we've really enjoyed so far coming on like Kim Newman and, 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 um, Kat Ellinger. So some really great stuff there and some, and some really cool, um, uh, you know, um, some really cool special features that are coming up. We, we can't really say too much about those just yet, but we can. what we can say is um, that you're going to see this banger of a batch come out very soon, and we're excited. Absolutely. Uh, it's been so fun hanging out with you once again, Blake, to talk all things imprint, uncover some classics, to de-slip some physical media, and <laughs> look at what is going on in the world of imprint. But what is going on in the world of Blake Howard? What is going on in the world with me is that at One Heat Minute Productions, our little podcast, we have currently Zodiac Chronicle kicking off. So if you guys want to follow along there, you can subscribe. We'd appreciate you listening. It is a 24-part investigation into David Finch's 2007 masterpiece, Zodiac. And I can say that we've just had on our latest episode the introduction by one James Vanderbilt, the screenwriter of Zodiac, and you can look forward to so much more from James and other wonderful guests coming up very soon. Some surprises in store as well. Um, And if you want to check us out on Patreon as well, there are actually our uncut Zodiac sessions Mm. where we just have the big long conversations that are then cut down into our very um, punchy pods that come every fortnight. Another one coming for April, Aquarius part two uh but yeah that's that is all that is happening in my pod life alexi toliopoulos tell me about what's happening in your pod life well i'm returning from my podcast sabbatical and i am coming out of retirement basically and total reboot (laughs) is coming back after two month break cannot wait Uh, wait. and i will tell you the skinny blakey baby we are Kind of rebooting Total Reboot, gently. It's a soft reboot. Uh, We are taking a bit of a turn to... We had a lot of fun, like doing like the bigger mini series. We explored something, whether it was like the career of Nicolas Cage, or uh, we had a lot of fun doing like a Hitchcock special, looking at Rear Window, and then movies that were heavily inspired by it. So now we're, with Total Re, we're going to be looking at like broader topics, like genres or generic cycles in film, or themes that are worth exploring, subgenres, or just Love like broad topics. It. And the first thing that we're Love doing. It is we're doing screen ages, teens on your screens. We're talking about 
probably between seven to eight to nine weeks of some of our favorite teen on screen films. And the first episode is all about, I think, maybe the greatest of all time, one of my favorite films. The movie is Dazed and Confused. And it's just a new way for us to kind of explore cinema again, you know, get a little bit out of like the trappings of what the podcast has always been about. So the new season, we're going a little bit bigger. We're looking at bigger topics that aren't just tied to that old format. And also the big film buffet, the Netflix podcast I host is coming back in March. So if you love your physical meter, you love to stream that shit too, brother. We got you covered on both ends. <laughs> We're going from both ends, which is exactly what I like to hear. I'm excited <laughs> because Total Reboot, by the sounds of things, you're going for the genre killers. I And I love that. Those those films that break the genre that have to be overcome. Mm-hmm. Days That Are Confused is a big one because it Absolutely. broke teenage movies for years. People have, were contending with it to try, and, to try and do better. So I'm super excited there. And mm-hmm. yeah, can't wait because, you know, you know, baby, sometimes we like to stream. Just a little bit of stream. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just get a little bit. You can't but guys, thank it. you so much. <laughs> you can't help it. Guys, thank you so much for listening to the Imprint Companion. We love chatting to you. We're coming to you one episode a month now because now we've got monthly batches. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to break it up over the three months. One loaded big show um, to, to knock over everything that's coming up in the uh, in the imprint label. But man, I love, I we could just talk about this stuff forever together. Exactly. And it's going to be a pretty big year for imprint. We have had some whispers. We have had some intel dropping into our whispers. ears. We've had whispers, nothing confirmed, nothing that we dare speak about, but we would... We would we daren't not speak about some of the things yeah. we've heard. There is, I'll just say, there's a tease. There is one movie that, when the whisper came through the line, that I've been publicly wanting to come to some physical media form for <laughs> years. I cannot believe mm. I'm finally going to get it, and it's going to we're going to get to freaking talk about it. And you know, we like filmmakers, mm-hmm. and. At Imprint Films, we've heard about maybe some filmmakers mm-hmm. who are worthy of some filmmaker box sets, perhaps. Mm. And what we've heard is that maybe we're going to get to get up close and personal with them and share them with you. So we are freaking excited in 2021 with this physical media. Um, if you are a fan of the show and you want to hashtag Imprint Companion, show us your DVD library at home. Mm-hmm. We also have... Every one of the films that we discuss to give away. So if you're one of the first people to hashtag Imprint Companion and to tag me, One Blake Minute, or tag This Is Alexi on either Instagram or on the Twitter sphere, and you want to hit us up, you might just get a cheeky little something in the mail from us because we love you. Yeah, we're going to ship out the batches, baby. <laughs> and if you're really lucky, I might ship you a little bonus Jonathan Livingston Seagull, huh? Just oh, give you a little, yes. Ship you a little Seagull. I will tell you, seagull for you there. the last time when it was my responsibility to ship out the batch, I <laughs> also chucked in an exclusive pre owned copy of Gotti starring John Travolta. I love to put a little <laughs> curse in with the blessings when we're shipping out stuff from the Imprint little, Companion show. Li- Little curse with the blessing. I'm thinking that I might just send out a little curse of White House down. <laughs> whoa, <laughs> whoa. Okay, okay. 
<laughs> I'm just just a little taste, but you know, if you want some Channing Tatum in your life, <laughs> if you want some Jamie Foxx in your life, also interestingly written by James Vanderbilt, little bit of little bit of White House down for you. Wow, that's okay. It's a blessing, yet it may be a curse. <laughs>